Welcome back to Navy Yard, Nats fans. Walters would like to thank you in advance for masking up. D.C. COVID restrictions have been put back in place, requiring everyone dining indoors to wear a mask. While this isn't what Walters was hoping for, Walters will comply with D.C. regulations. Walters would also like to thank Max Scherzer for the last seven years. It's been a real pleasure watching greatness every five days. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Three balls, two strikes, the count. And the pitch swung on, belted deep to right, down the line. If it stays fair, it's trouble. And it is gone. Goodbye. Into the second deck. A two-run homer for Rafael Ortega. His third home run of the game. Yadiel a good day with a single to left center, an RBI single to right center, and a home run down the left field line to the seventh. Pitch. Swing and a high fly ball to deep left field. Back goes Contreras to the warning track. To the wall. It is. Welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, August 2nd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, it wasn't Trey Turner versus Fernando Tatis. We can't have that anymore. It wasn't Max Scherzer versus Clayton Kershaw. We can't have that anymore. But I tell you what, Yadiel Hernandez versus Rafael Ortega was quite a battle on Sunday afternoon at Nationals Park. And while Ortega ended up out homering Yadiel 3-2, it was Yadiel who got the last laugh, a walk-off homer in a 6-5 win over the Cubs at Nationals Park. The Nationals, as they begin the rest of their lives off the sell-off to end-all sell-off, end up winning this series against the Cubs and get to 49-56 and on the season. That was a fun day at the park, and that was some performance, Mark, by Yadiel Hernandez. It was, and for the first time ever, math doesn't make sense, Al, because two beat three. Two homers by Yadiel beat three homers by Rafael Ortega, or as Davey Martinez called him afterwards, Babe Ortega. Thank God he's gone. Uh, We don't see him no more today. You know, he was Babe Ortega. I mean, where did this come from? Out of nowhere, because he did it Saturday night also. I mean, come on, out of absolutely nowhere. Yadiel Hernandez, at least those of us who've watched him, we know that he can hit, and he can hit fastballs especially, and he can hit him the other way. Rafael Ortega's bounced all over the place, and I think it was something like he had seven career homers 
prior to Saturday night. Now he's got four in his last seven at bats. It's insane. Thankfully, it didn't you know cost them in the end. And it was a long day. There was a, some rain issues early on. The Swero blowing the lead in the eighth kind of left everyone in a bad mood, but they finished on a high note and people did have fun. And, and look, I know the Cubs are also rebuilding, so you don't want to read too much into it. But if I told you at 4 p.m. on Friday, after all the trades went down, that the Nats were then going to go win two out of three, I think everyone would be perfectly okay with that. And by the way, the Mets also lost on Sunday, and so they picked up another game, six and a half back. Still relevant, still relevant in the division that no one wants to win. Is it possible for nobody to win a division? Can that happen with this <laughs> National League East this year? It feels like it might happen. I don't know that anyone deserves to win this division this season. But Yadiel Hernandez, you know, it's, it's interesting because like, okay, as we embark on this two-month stretch here for the Nats post the sell-off, right? You have the guys who you know are pieces moving forward. People like, you know, Juan Soto, Josh Bell. You have the guys who you hope are pieces moving forward, but you're not sure what to make of them. Victor Robles, Carter Keeboom, Luis Garcia. And then you have someone like Yadiel Hernandez. He's in his age 33 season, limited major league experience, isn't very good defensively, but we know he can hit. And boy, did he hit on Sunday afternoon. Four for five with two solo homers, an RBI single, another single, and a nice defensive play. I mean, I just mentioned the defense. That was a good looking, running, leaping, backhanded catch of a Robinson Chirino's first pitch liner. Come full circle. Here's a swing and a long drive to left. On the run is Yadiel Hernandez back reaching up. Makes the catch as he crosses onto the warning track for the outs. On a rocket line drive off the bat of Chirinos. While Yadiel is running onto a muddy and sloppy warning track, this happening in the top of the second for the second out of it, Yadiel is approaching the slop that was that warning track and makes that catch. But the two homers, the walk-off homer, it's a leadoff opposite field shot to left field. Bottom of the ninth, he was down in the count at 1.02. Both homers end up being opposite field shots. Neither one is what you would call, you know, a Ruthian clout or a Schwarbian clout, but each one ended up being a home run. But what do you think about Yadiel? What do you think the Nats think about Yadiel? I mean, it seems like, at least right now, right, he's a pinch hitter and not much more, an occasional player and not much more. I suppose that's what he is given his age. But uh, he really brought it on Sunday. That was incredible what he did. Well, first of all, regarding that play he made in the in the slop, he said, you know, it turns out that Yadiel is a mutter. And his, his father was a mutter. A mutter yes. And his mother was a mutter. So <laughs> that was sloppy, yes. But he made the play. Nice job. And here's a stat for you. I know you, being the uh, longtime Nats observer that you are, will appreciate this blast from the past. It was according to ESPN. Yadiel Hernandez is the first Nationals player with four hits and a walk-off homer since Elijah Dukes in 2008. Duh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great company to be in. I mean, that is that is a name you want to be associated with, Elijah Dukes, and a season you want to be associated with, 2008. So here we are. It all comes full circle. Here we are again. So, all right, enough with the fun stuff. Now, Yadiel, look, he hits fastballs. That home run to win the game was 100 miles an hour, and it was down and in. It was not a bad pitch, and he was able to get on it and drive it to left field. We know he hits fastballs. He's shown that all year long. The issue is opposing teams have figured that out and they've been throwing him a whole lot of breaking balls and he's been awful against those. He has not been able to figure that out. Well, all of a sudden, since the All-Star break, he's like 11 for 18. He's hitting fastball. He's also hitting some change-ups. I don't know if in the long run he's going to be able to hit consistently enough to be anything more than the pinch hitter in the big leagues. And, and maybe even that's asking too much. But we talked about here's your chance now the next two months just to see what you have. And to me, as long as he's not taking that bats away from future potential pieces, and I think there are there are enough at bats out there to be able to give someone like him some. I'm not saying he should play every day, but I think you can give him some without you know spoiling the the future plans here. 
go ahead, see what you got. He's cost-effective. Everybody loves him. He's got a, kind of like Paolo Espino. He's got a great story. He's persevered through a lot to get to this point. He's just having a great time. And if you can get a couple of years at him as a, a reliable pinch hitter off the bench, that's great. No problem with that. It's okay to use up spots on guys like that. They don't all have to be prospects who, who figure into the long-term picture around here. Whenever I go to the gym, I fire up Elijah Dukes' rap album. To anyone who doesn't know what I'm referring to, Google it, and you'll never, ever forget it. Yeah, Yadiel, I mean, he ends up having a tremendous series. You mentioned the run he's on. Six for nine was Yadiel in this series. Two homers, two doubles, two singles, five RBI. He, in so many ways, is like emblematic of the Nats farm system. A guy well into his 30s who gets called up for the Nats farm system. Like, that was the state of the system prior to all these trades. And he does have that skill, which we know not everyone has, and that is the pinch hit skill. You know, he, he's got that Kavorka in him. He's had a number of pinch hits for the Nats this season. He had a pinch two-out RBI double in the bottom of the sixth in the uh, the win for the Nats over the Cubs on Friday night. So even if that's all he is, right, just a, just a pinch hitter and an occasional starter, there's obviously value in that. And we're seeing, hey, look, if called upon, the guy can actually do well. So what a job by him in this game on Sunday afternoon. Good to see that. You know, you, you felt like, especially after all these trades, are we, we going to see any more like true, supreme, individual, single game performances the rest of the way? Obviously, Juan Soto is capable of it, although I don't know that he ever gets another hit to pitch with all those walks he took on Sunday. But you had something fun here with Yadiel Hernandez uh, doing as he ended up doing. Oh, this baby loves the slop. Loves it. Eats it up. Eats the slop. Born the slop. His father was a mutter. His father was a mutter. His mother was a mutter. His mother was a mutter. What did I just say? Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202 486 3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, the trend for the series, though, I think overall, like if you big picture it, it does end up being a series in which the young guys play and they play a lot. We continue to see Victor Robles in the leadoff spot on Sunday afternoon. That was good. We continue to see Luis Garcia at shortstop on Sunday afternoon. Second straight game. You wonder if, if maybe that becomes his position more so than second base, at least for a little while here. Carter Keeboom was back out there at third base in the number six spot. Rene Rivera was the catcher. You know, they're going to need to limit that. And I guess Rene, he's only starting because Tres Pereira had been starting. And this is not going to last long, right? As, as soon as Cabert Ruiz is up, Rene Rivera is probably going to be go- gone, correct? Yeah, I would think so. Although, remember, Alex Avila is still around on the COVID IL. We'll, oh, see, what right. happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens once he finally recovers from that following the bilateral calf strains. I don't want to laugh at this. The man has COVID-19 or tested positive for it. But what a bizarre turn of events for him ever since he set foot out in second base on that night against the Dodgers. So this is interesting, and I know if we're, I know we're going to get to Josiah Gray here because he's going to make his debut on Monday night, but Caber Ruiz, the other big prospect from the Dodgers, the catcher, is going to start out at Rochester. They're not putting a timeline on when he's going to come up, but I do think we're going to see him sooner than later. It helps that Barrera has played well and they want to get a look at him, but I've got to believe that for the bulk of the next two months, it's going to be Trace Barrera and Caber Ruiz back there. And who knows, maybe that is your one-two catching punch now, not just next year for a while. That would make sense. And given how well Barrera has played, I don't think most people would have a problem with that. You know, Barrera's quitted himself quite well here. Like, at the very least, maybe a solid number two catcher for you moving forward. We did not see a lot of Gerardo Parra in the series. He did have a good-looking pinch single in the bottom of the eighth on Sunday afternoon, but I think that's the right way to go. We barely saw any of Alcides Escobar in the series. I mean, this guy had been a staple for the Nats at second base and then at shortstop. He only ends up starting one game in the series. I know Davey Martinez in his postgame presser on Sunday said that Escobar had needed an MRI exam on his left wrist off a hit by pitch. Uh, take your pick which hit by pitch that was. The guy has been hit by so many pitches. He, he's like Robles in that regard. But even if Alcides is healthy, I hope we don't see a lot of him moving forward. And, and I don't say there's a knock on him. He's done a nice job. But again, like, what's the point here, right? Like, let's play younger guys. Alcides Escobar isn't a realistic piece moving forward. So 
I would think slash hope his playing time gets limited over these final two months. Well, I think we are going to see some of him, and there may be some of him at shortstop with Garcia at second. It sounds like Garcia is going to bounce between the two, and it's not going to be strictly at shortstop, because they're not really entirely sure what Garcia is yet. He's still really young. There had been questions about whether he is a shortstop long-term or not. I think a lot of people just assumed eventually he'd be the second baseman with Trey Turner at short. So I think you may see him at both. And at the moment, the only other alternative is uh, Adrian Sanchez, who's also you know, been around the block. He's been in the organization forever. Great guy. Everybody loves him. Not someone you're talking about long-term as, as a, a big leaguer, certainly not as a everyday big leaguer. So I think you will still see Escobar when he's healthy, but that won't take at-bats away from Garcia or keep him. I think there's enough at-bats for all of them to be had unless there's somebody else out there I'm forgetting uh, as an infielder that's going to come back here at some point. Would you pick a lane, though, and go with it with Garcia, or do you think toggling him back and forth makes sense down the stretch between second and short? It's a good question. Um, Like I said, because I think they're not really 100% convinced that he is a shortstop, and they don't have a shortstop long-term now, if that's the case, not until they get to Brady House and he's years away. So there's an interesting question to me of what do they do this winter there, and would they go sign a veteran shortstop, not on a big deal or anything like that, but just sort of a stopgap maybe? for a year or two. So if they think ultimately Garcia is a second baseman, then why have him at short and, and let him get exposed there and you know deal with the extra pressures of that? So I don't think it's the end of the world. The hope would be by the end of the season, you have a, a good idea of what he might be at either position, and then you can make your plans moving forward based off of that. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the need for positional versatility. So if you can establish that with Garcia, that's a good thing. I just wouldn't want to see happen with him what we've seen happen with some other guys. And this is different, I know, but like, you know, the Eric Fetty thing of is he a starter? Is he a reliever? They keep changing that. It's like, all right, with Luis Garcia, let him get used to a position at the major league level and, you know, find his footing at that spot. But you know what? It's not the worst thing in the world if you have him play a little while at the other position. Like, I don't think that's going to totally throw the guy off or anything like that. But it's, it's good to see him and Keyboom and Robles. And who knows what these guys are? Maybe all three end up not being pieces, but it just feels like there's a direction and a purpose with them playing as opposed to the way things had been with them, which was, especially with Keyboom and Robles, you, you didn't know what to think. And I don't think they knew what to think. I don't think they knew like where their careers were headed. At least now it's like, all right, here's your chance. And it's essentially put up or shut up. Like, let's see what you can do here. These jobs should be yours the rest of the season. And uh, hopefully these guys do well. I mean, I'm rooting for all three of them to be pieces for the Nets moving forward. Soto on Sunday afternoon, three walks. Uh, Juan Soto now second in the majors with 75 walks on the season. He only ends up having two hits in the series. He's kind of gone back over these last few weeks to being where he was prior to the surge. I know he's, he, he hit all those homers initially out of the All-Star break. He's also had some series, though, here where he's, you know, he hasn't gotten a lot to hit, and that which he has gotten a hit haven't resulted in many hits. Like, if you go back to the Orioles series, he only had one hit the entire series. It was a homer, but in this series, he ends up going two for 10, a double, a single, and four walks, two of which were intentional. And I guess, Mark, we just have to get used to this. Like, there probably aren't going to be that many pitches for Juan Soto to hit the rest of this season. It is uh, an issue. And uh, I jokingly said the other day that I could see him having a 500 on base percentage the rest of the season. Yeah. But that may not be so joking. I mean, that may actually happen because he's going to draw so many walks. And as long as he doesn't get frustrated by it, the way that maybe Bryce Harper did years ago, and just takes his walks and just says, all right, I'm going to trust who's ever hitting behind me to get the job done. Ultimately, he'll be better off for it, even though it's frustrating for everyone. Now, in this game, Josh Bell did deliver twice, two out RBI singles with Soto on base. So that was great. Now there was one more opportunity in the eighth 
with the game tied, and they intentionally walk Soto, and Bell immediately on the first pitch grounds into a double play. And so that's agonizing for everyone. You say, oh, I can't believe he did that on the first pitch. Well, two out of three times that he came up in that spot, he delivered. So I don't want to get down on him too much. You can't expect him to be perfect. But boy, there is a lot of pressure on Bell now to be the protection. And, And I know those who say, oh, protection doesn't matter and lineup construction doesn't matter. I mean, here it is. If this is what you're going to field as a lineup and you're an opposing manager, you're not going to let Juan Soto beat you. You just aren't. So it is up to Josh Bell to pick him up and deliver in those spots. And there really isn't anyone else to do that. So it it is going to be an interesting thing to see the rest of the way. And can Juan stay patient? I mean, we're going to talk to him here. We still haven't yet since the trades. uh, There's been so much else going on. I'm really curious for his thoughts and, and how much he's willing to share about how he feels about the state of things. I'm sure that this has been a tough few days for him, and he's now contemplating what's coming ahead for him. And I would not fault him at all at age 22 for feeling a little down, because this is the first time he's ever been in this spot now, and he's contemplating not just the rest of this year, but moving forward, what this is going to be like. I think ultimately he'll be fine. But emotionally, I could understand if this is a particularly difficult time for him. And, you know, maybe it's translating on the field in some capacity over the last few days. Yeah, I I think Juan Soto, his presence is as much a reason as any for this not to be a long-term rebuild for the Nats. The Nats have a superstar. This is not a total teardown situation. If it was, you would trade Soto, and they're not going to do that, nor should they do that. They have the centerpiece. They have the superstar here. So it's just a matter of adding more to that, and then you're back to being good again. It's funny with Bell. I know he had that spot in which he did not deliver on Sunday, but and I can't believe I'm about to say this. I have such confidence now when Josh Bell comes to the plate that he's going to get a hit, and even with runners in scoring position. And like this guy, to me, he's locked in. And I know the overall numbers, they still aren't great. It's amazing. I keep looking at his numbers. I'm like, all right, they must be great now, and they're not. Like It's taken forever for them to be really good. But he's been good over these last few months. He has two two two-out RBI singles in the game on Sunday afternoon. You go back to the 6-3 loss to the Cubs on Saturday night. Josh, in that game, a pinch RBI single. You go back to what went down on Friday night, that 4-3 Nats win. He had a two-out solo homer on a 1-2 pitch in the bottom of the fifth inning. The complete lack of confidence we all had in Josh Bell in April, it's now a total 180 for me, and I'm guessing for a lot of people listening. This guy can hit. He goes the opposite way. He's hitting from both sides of the plate. The guy's a good hitter, and we're seeing that here. And uh, I I mentioned it. Like Juan Soto certainly is a piece moving forward. I think Josh Bell is too. I know he's under team control for just one more season beyond this one, but I I think it's okay to look at Josh Bell as, you know what, this guy is legit and he can be a part of the next good set of Nats teams. Yeah. You know how we keep harping on the bases loaded thing and how bad they are? You know what Josh Bell is with the bases loaded this year? Six for 15, hitting 400. He is delivering in those spots. And yes, I agree with you. I can't believe the numbers overall still aren't as good as they are. But when you start off at 133, well into May, it takes a long time to get out of it. And so since May 13th, 65 games, and this doesn't include Sundays yet because it hasn't been updated when he went, uh, what, two for five. So 65 games now batting 293, 353 on base, 544 slugging, 897 OPS. So when you add in Sunday, he's essentially had 900 OPS now over two and a half months. That's really good. It's not Juan Soto good, but it's still really good. That's like cleanup hitter, like typical cleanup hitter good. And so I agree. I think uh, he is a part of this, at least for next year and possibly beyond the work he's done in the field 
has made a big difference. The fact that he is hitting from the right side of the plate has made a big difference. Uh, It'll be fascinating over time how we all come to think of that deal for him. But I would say right now this was a good move, and he was the right player for them to acquire And what at the time looked like a controversial move and certainly in mid-May looked like a bad move. I don't think we can say that right now. Yeah, I mean, as far as what was given up, it was not like a bunch of uh, two high-level prospects or anything like that. I mean, they could always end up being superstars or something. But as, as far as we know, Rizzo did not give much up to get Bell. I did want to mention this, too. You mentioned, you know, Bell swinging at the first pitch. I know people will complain about that. Understand, Josh Bell this season on first pitch plate appearances has an OPS of 1,073. So there are some guys who thrive swinging at first pitches. Josh Bell has been one of those guys this season. So when it doesn't work out, understand more often than not, or at least it has worked out enough when he swung at first pitches. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. The one-strike delivery. Swing a line drive right side over the leaping Bodie. Base hit right field. Rivera scores. Robles stops at third as Hayward fires a one-hop strike into the catcher, Chirinos. So Josh Bell with another clutch hit. He's driven home two runs in the game, and the Nationals lead 4-1. to one. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Tickets for the remainder of the 2021 Fredericksburg National Season are on sale now. They have promotions for every night of the week like $2 Tuesdays, Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, and Giveaway Sundays. If you can't make it to the game in person, you can listen to a free online radio broadcast on the Fred Nats Baseball Network or watch a live video stream with a subscription to MILB.TV. Stop by the box office or visit FredNats.com for ticket information and see the future stars of the Washington Nationals today. 3-2 pitch. Barley with a drive high and deep to left. He watches that one fly and it's gone. Welcome to the Fred Nats. Yordy Barley. A two-run bomb out to left. And the Fred Nats lead it 9-1. to Two down, three balls, two strikes. The pitch on the way. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a curveball. So Fetty wins the battle. Davey Martinez lets him finish the inning, and he does. Well, Eric Fetty was the national starting pitcher in this 6-5 walk-off win over the Cubs on Sunday afternoon. And, you know, I thought Fetty was okay. It, it was really a mixed bag kind of outing. Three runs in six innings, and I think that kind of captures that. On the one hand, eight strikeouts versus one walk. You love that. Only gives up four hits. You like that. But on the other hand, two of the four hits were homers by Rafael Ortega, a.k.a. Babe Ortega, as Davey said after the game. Ortega also had a single 
uh, off Fetty. And Fetty, he, he threw a lot of pitches, 108 pitches over the six innings, just 62 strikes versus 46 balls. And, you know, for me, I look at Fetty now, all right, this is six starts since he came off the 10-day injured list, which he was on with a left oblique strain. The overall numbers are not good. He's had, you know, he had one good outing off the IL. You know, this outing was so-so. But bottom line, six starts since coming off the IL, 22 earned runs in 27 and the third innings. He was on such a roll, right? He had that 20-inning scoreless streak not that long ago. It's like we're still waiting to see that Fetty. I love the eight strikeouts on Sunday, but that Eric Fetty we saw when he was rolling, to me, we haven't seen that guy truly since he came off the injured list. So I'm going to disagree with you on this. I think this was a very good start for him. Really? I think this was much closer to what he was earlier. And I think you're you're looking at the Ortega home runs. And I'm, I'm not saying like you have to brush those aside, but clearly he wasn't the only one that had trouble keeping Rafael Ortega in the ballpark this weekend for whatever reason that was. Ortega three for three off him, drove in three runs, all three runs that Fetty gave up. Everybody else against Fetty in this game was one for 18 with one walk and like you said, the eight strikeouts. Now, the pitch count was a little high. I'll give you that. So he was maybe using up a little more than he should have. But the eight strikeouts were great. He gives up the, the leadoff home run. And then after that, basically nothing else until the sixth inning. I thought that was good. And then here's why I thought this was a good and important start for Eric Fetty. And, you know, in my mind now as a beat writer, I'm, I'm writing these stories a little differently than I would have in the past. And the lead to my game story was not Yaldiel Hernandez, even though he won the game. Now, part of that's you know, you're writing it as it's playing out and you can't anticipate that something's going to happen in the bottom of the ninth and scramble that quickly. But I felt like no matter what the outcome of the game was, that Fetty was the story of the game because of the sixth inning and the fact that Davey left him in after the home run. He was at 91 pitches at this point. It was a 4-3 game. For three and a half years, Davey would have gone to the bullpen right then and there and said, okay, we got to try to win this game now. I can't afford to leave my starter in there. I'm going to bring somebody else in. The mission has changed. And he said it afterwards. He wants to see if he can do that. He knows Fetty needs to go deeper in games. Eric himself was appreciative that he got that. And he uh, he used the, the Max Scherzer term. He emptied the tank that inning. 108 pitches, the most he's thrown all year. He retired the side after that. He struck out Patrick Wisdom to end the sixth. I know the final line is nothing special, but I actually thought that was an important start for Eric Fetty and a good start for him in the big picture. That's the kind of thing they're going to need from him to be a consistent major league starter for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad Davey pushed it with him. I don't know. To me, with Fetty, it's like at some point we do need to see consistent results. I mean, his ERA for the season is over five. And I'm just like, this is his fifth major league season. I know the total innings aren't that much, but, you know, first round pick all the way back in 2014. I, I just, I, I would like to see him finally graduate to that level of a dependable starting pitcher. And at times we've felt like he's done that this year. So I'm not trying to like completely dismiss the season he's had. But uh, I don't know, man. To me, it's like he, he's one of those guys the rest of the season. I really want to see him do well. I want him to be a piece for the Nats moving forward. I don't know that we can still say that. I, I think with Fetty, there's still a lot of questions with him. Like, is he uh, someone who you can in any way count on to be a member of Nationals rotations for years to come? We're not there yet. And to me, we need to get there over the remainder of this season. He does. And I put him and Joe Ross in the same category where there are, you know, maybe three out of five starts. They look really good. And then there's one that's kind of so-so and then one that's really bad. And they've got to eliminate those bad ones. But to me, this one, I put more in the good category. I think it was important what he did. I'm glad that he's just going to pitch every fifth day the rest of the season, provided he stays healthy. That will be good for him. They need to see how his arm holds up now at the end of a long season. I took a lot of positives out of this for him. 
no, in the big picture, he has not fully established himself yet. And he's got two more months to try to do that. But I thought what he did on Sunday was an important step toward ultimately proving that. So with the Nationals bullpen on Sunday, first of all, a very interesting roster move before the game. The Nationals have activated Josiah Gray. We'll get to that momentarily. But they optioned Tanner Rainey to AAA Rochester. I don't know how many people were anticipating that. It has not been a good season for Rainey. He's dealt with injury, but he's also dealt with ineffectiveness. 25 innings, an ERA of 720, a whip of 176. He's given up five homers. Uh, how surprised were you that Rainey was the odd man out and was optioned to AAA Rochester? So I was very surprised at the time, as soon as it came out. First of all, that they called up Gray a day early. Typically, they'd wait for a starting pitcher. They'd wait till the day of to do that. But I think they wanted to get him here, let him get in his surroundings and meet everyone and, and all that. And then that Rainey would be the one to go. Initially, I was very surprised. And then I started thinking about it and the way David was explaining it as well. And here's why I think it makes sense. He'd just coming off the IL. He had one rehab appearance, I think, at Rochester. And because of the COVID outbreak, they were scrambling and they needed to get healthy arms up. And so they brought him up and all of a sudden he's thrown into a game in Philly where he's got to go for the save and didn't go well at all. And now I think he's still kind of in rehab mode. And I, I wish Davey had said it more like this. I view this not, not as much of a demotion as it is a, let's go like finish that rehab assignment that you never really got because of the situation we're in now. They said he's going to pitch, specifically going to pitch every other day. So they don't have to worry about, can he go back to back days? They want him to work on getting healthy and work on throwing strikes, getting ahead in the count, all that kind of stuff. So there are things he needs to work on to be sure. But I think it's going to be short. I think we will see him here within a few weeks. And I think it is going to be him and Finnegan pitching at the end of games. Now, Finnegan's done a nice job. And I think at the moment, he's sort of taking a step forward and saying he could be the guy. But long term, they're going to need Rainey to be part of that as well. So I think they want to get him right and then bring him back up for that. So I was surprised at first, but I think it makes sense given the situation that he was in specifically. He probably wasn't ready to come back when he was brought up and it was just out of sheer necessity that they had to make that move at the time. Yeah, Rainey's another guy who I think needs a good final two months of this season. Again, you want to feel like Rainey's a part of this thing moving forward. It certainly looked that way last season. Tanner Rainey was really good last season, and it's just been a nightmare of a season for him this year for a variety of reasons. We last saw Tanner in that 11-8, 8-inning loss at the Phillies in Game 2 of the doubleheader on Thursday afternoon. Rainey, Wander Suero, and Sam Clay combining to give up seven runs in two and to third innings. And speaking of Wander Suero, as we have noted many times, there is good Wander and there is bad Wander. And we had bad Wander, very bad Wander in this game on Sunday afternoon. Wander Suero, a disaster in the top of the eighth inning, comes into the game with the Nats holding a 5-3 lead, issues a one-out five-pitch walk to the Cubs pinch hitter, Wilson Contreras. And I don't know about you, as soon as Suero issued that walk, I said, that's it. He's going he's gonna to give up the lead in this inning. And sure enough, what happens one out, full count, game-tying, two-run homer by who else? Rafael Ortega. That was home run number three on the day for old Rafa, and the game ends up being tied at five. The bullpen otherwise was good. Our guy Gabe Klobositz delivered a perfect top of the seventh inning. That guy is an instant fan favorite with the name, with the look, 6'7", 270, the stirrups, you know, everything about him. And then Kyle Finnegan continues to look good as the Nationals closer, a scoreless top of the ninth that only featured as the boo-boo, the catcher's interference error by Rene Rivera. So Clovis sits in Finnegan good, Suero not so much. Yeah, they like what they've seen from Clobo, as they're calling him, and I will too, to make it easier to say. Uh, in the seventh inning, he throws strikes, seven pitches, six strikes. Now, they were all flyouts, and you, you hope that those don't turn into home runs at some point. 
but he had great numbers, double A AA and triple A. He is a strike thrower, a big intimidating presence on the mound. They've now got three relievers in that bullpen who are six, six or bigger. Klobositz, Jeffrey Rodriguez, and the other new guy we still haven't seen, Mason Thompson, uh, is six seven. So they've got some big boys down there. Hopefully, they all can show that they're you know worthy of being part of this moving forward. Finnegan, I agree, has looked very good after that bizarre catcher's interference call in Rivera. What's he do? He gets the six four three double play. Finnegan's very good at that, so I like what we've seen from him. And Suero, the home run, he threw four straight changeups. That's not his pitch. He's a cutter specialist, as we know. But Ortega, I guess they felt like he hit so many fastballs for home runs, they wanted to stay away from it. But four in a row, changeups, and then the last one, I mean, it was right on a platter, right over the plate. So that's not what you want to do at all. And of course, that's preceded by the four-pitch walk. And that's where you know you're getting in trouble. Like you said, you just know as soon as that happens, look out, it's going to be bad swear today. So fortunately, it didn't cost them in the end in the game. It kind of spoiled uh, what otherwise would have been a very clean victory, I think, for them. But we're going to see more swear on. They got to find who it's going to be in these late innings and setup role. And they only have so many options at the moment. And so you're going to see more of it. For now, he is one of the more experienced members of the bullpen. That's a little bit of a scary thought. He is that classic guy who does just enough to make you think he can do it again. And he like teases you because at times he does look great. But when he's off, he's so off. And obviously on Sunday, he was rather off. Well, there's going to be an excitement at Nationals Park on Monday night. I'm very much looking forward to this. Game one of a four-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies. And the expected is official. Josiah Gray will be making his Nationals debut. Uh, Like we said, activated to the roster on Sunday. He'll be out there starting for the Nationals on Monday night. Uh, We noted on the last installment of the Nats Chat podcast, he has pitched at the major league level. The results really haven't been that good so far this season over his brief two games there with the Dodgers, although he did have 13 strikeouts over eight innings. But what are you thinking? What do you think the Nats are thinking? Do you think there's a short leash on Gray? Do you think you just let him cut it loose? Game's going to be on ESPN, so, you know, national television for whatever that's worth here. This is going to be something. Josiah Gray, perhaps, you know, instant dividends being reaped by the Nats off the sell-off of last week. It's exciting, obviously. And, you know, when it happens just days after the trade, everyone's going to be have all eyes on him and be very interested to see what he does. And I think that the Nationals are trying to tamper that down a little bit. They're trying to tell him, don't get too worked up about this. I think there will be a leash on him somewhat because he's only thrown four innings, uh, at least in the big leagues. I don't think he had topped something like 76 pitches or something like that. So my guess is they're probably looking at five innings tops from him, you know, 80 to 90 pitches tops, and then, uh, you know, call it a day. But I'm very interested to see how he deals with it all. I mean, he pitched at Dodger Stadium just a week ago. So it's not like he hasn't been in a big spot yet. And that should help a little bit as far as the nerves and everything. But there's also a difference when you're now doing it for the team that just acquired you and didn't just acquire you, but traded away two of the biggest names in baseball to get you. So there is an added element of pressure there for him. I think that more than anything, more than the stuff, more than what the results are, I want to see how he handles that spotlight. With the Dodgers, he's just another prospect they call up. Now he's like the hope of the future for the nationals. And so that's a lot of responsibility for him. So let's see how he does with it. So far, everyone said good things about him, but I mean, they're just getting to know him. He just arrived. Very interesting debut, but this is what we're going to see. And again, like we said the other night, what I like here is he's going to pitch every fifth day. This should not be a case where he is looking over his shoulder like Lucas Giolito was. There isn't that same kind of pressure to win. Let him take his lumps, put him back out there every fifth day, 
you know, maybe lower the expectations bar a little bit, and then hopefully everything works out well. It reminds me, this isn't a Steven Strasburg debut. That was a once in a lifetime. And maybe when Cade Cavalli comes up, it's going to feel more like that. This to me is a Jordan Zimmerman kind of debut. Like people who are following know who, who he is. The team is not very good at the moment. And so there's a little lower stakes for him. And Jordan was not great his first year. It took him a couple of years to get it figured out. And so don't be surprised if that's the case, but they're not going to give up on him. They're not going to read too much into one start here against the Phillies. Yeah, I'm excited for Josiah Gray. I'm fully aware, though, it may not go well. Uh, We noted this on the last show that a lot of good pitchers don't necessarily start off great. Thinking about this, too. So Josiah Gray is not an overly big pitcher. He's listed as being 6'1", 190. It sure feels like all of the Nats' good starting pitchers during this run have been bigger guys. Now, Size to me does not matter. We've seen plenty of smaller pitchers do well. That's one of the uh, lessons of Moneyball. Don't judge a player by how he looks in a pair of jeans. That was like a Billy Bean saying. But I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, Max is a pretty tall guy. Steven Strasburg's a big guy. Doug Fister was was like six eight or whatever the heck he was. I guess Geo is Geo the last like good national starter who wasn't overly imposing physically. Yeah, probably it would be him. Jordan Zimmerman wasn't real tall, but he was you know strong. You know, like, yeah, he just, like looks like a good solid athlete, no matter what he would do. Patrick Corbin is kind of lanky. You know, he's got the pitcher look, especially for a lefty. So yeah, no, you're right. Most of them have been bigger guys and Gray is not, but let's see, there have been some smaller pitchers done well. And he he throws 95. So he's not a complete flamethrower, but he's not a a soft tosser or anything like that. He's not, not Palo Espino out there. I'm interested to see. I mean, you know, you can read up on him a little bit. I've never actually seen him pitch. I know what he looks like, but that's totally different than what he looks like pitching in a game. And so I'm fascinated to see. And I think everyone wants to now get their first glimpse at it. And it's exciting, but it's a little nerve wracking because you hope you hope for his sake and everyone's sake that it's not a disaster. I mean, you know, hopefully he's at least competent and, and decent out there, because if it is a disaster, people are going to overreact and say, oh, what were they doing? This is the guy they just traded Max Scherzer and Trey Turner for. And it's like, well, hang on a second. He was the number two rated prospect in the Dodgers organization. He's not nobody. We don't know what his career is going to pan out to be, but you know, there's a reason that they picked him and Caber Ruiz to be the two centerpieces of this rebuild. So whether he wins or not on Monday night, let's remember that there is some legitimate hope there and potential there. Yeah. I mean, if people want to overreact to one start, knock yourself out. Uh, that's, that's not the way to, uh, to read something like this. So on our last installment of the podcast, we had an emailer from the Netherlands. Uh, we got this email from Simon Tipple. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. He says, I'm another one of your European listeners tuning in from Brighton, England after almost every game. This past week has been pretty gut-wrenching with the trades, and while I'm sure it'll hurt for some time, it was comforting to hear you guys rationalize the situation and look towards a brighter future. A win on Sunday was the perfect end to the week. That is the thing. I mean, I know like the results of these games moving forward don't really matter that much, but I think there is something to the Nats winning this series and communicating to the fan base. You know, the team's not going to go 0 and 60 the rest of the way here, okay? Like, this is still going to be a team that can be competitive and a team that's more than capable of maybe being halfway decent, like we keep saying, especially in this underwhelming National League East. But I, I thought, like, of all of the drama and the chaos of last week, especially, to have a series like this, you win two out of three over the Cubs. You have some fun things to chew on. It's a nice ending. I think Nationals Nation deserved this off everything that had transpired really over the course of the entire month of July. Yeah, I agree. And like, yes, it was against the Cubs team that is kind of in the same boat. They just traded everybody away and their spirits are, are going to be super low. But 
you know, you still had to win these games. And they did take two out of three. And and they did it in an, in an interesting way. You know, these weren't like bad wins. They were, they were good wins with some good performances from young guys and from some players that were still, you know, kind of getting a look at and try to figure out what they're going to be. I mean, as we've always said, Paolo Espino is a good story. Yadiel Hernandez is a good story. These younger kids are going to be a good story. And now there is the, you know, the added hope and excitement of, the new guys stepping in. These aren't just names we've known about for a while, but all of a sudden the guys that they picked up in the last few days are about to be in the spotlight and we're going to find out what they can do. So yeah, I I think all of it is going to be fun to watch. And I I think as we've seen and we've heard from so many fans, as agonizing as it was, as sad as it was, I think most are on board with this. They understand why they're doing this and they're now trying to embrace the idea of what's going to happen. And in its own way, that can be kind of fun in itself. You can sort of feel like, hey, I was there from the beginning. I saw this guy make his first start. I saw these guys when they were 21 years old getting their first chance to do something. And there's a little bit of pride, I think, that comes in that in having sort of seen it all along. And we're going to get that here over the next few days as well. The most likable teams in sports are young teams, overachieving teams, you know, teams that aren't supposed to be good but end up doing well. And, you know, the Nats can be one of those teams here over the final two months of the season. Think back to the classic movie Major League, right? You're not supposed to do well, but you end up doing well. So that's a beautiful thing. We just need to say, hey, uh, Willie Mays Hayes out there and uh, we'll be maybe Willie Mays Hayes will replace Victor Robles in center field at some point. We'll see. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. That's natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider doing so. Also, if you are a listener, we would appreciate you giving the pod a five-star rating and just writing like a one-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast. We appreciate that very much. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. I don't recognize this guy. Hey, Billy Mays Hayes here. Play like Mays, and I run like Hayes. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.